Rots a righteousness tends to be long So keep your love on, on Welcome to the Get Your Love On podcast. This show is dedicated to the family of faith around the globe. In each episode, we punt phony religion and we learn how to simply walk with God every day. It's straightforward and it's straight from the word. We have free resources for you at getyourloveon.org that includes free Bible studies and videos to answer your questions and build your faith. And of course, we'd love to hear from you. You can always reach out and contact us at getyourloveon.org. We have an amazing episode for you, so let's go. Keep your love on, child. Let it shine bright. We have an incredible show for you. And of course, here in the U.S., now I did mention this show is dedicated to the those around the globe, our family of faith, and we are streaming around the globe. And so it's always kind of fun to let people know what's going on in the United States. We just had Thanksgiving. And we know that the pilgrims came to America in the early 1600s and began that tradition because of their overwhelming gratitude of the rescue that God provided them by giving them this nation. But did you also know that before that ever happened, before the Thanksgiving tradition ever existed, those pilgrims did something incredible. Before they ever set foot on American soil, they made a covenant with God Almighty. It's called the Mayflower Compact, and it was signed November 21st, 1620. This is incredibly important because it it's considered the first governing document that laid the foundation for this great nation, the United States of America. So the Mayflower Compact was the first governing document of Plymouth Colony. It was written by the passengers of the Mayflower, consisting of Puritans, adventurers, and tradesmen. So people from all walks of life, but specifically the Puritans were fleeing religious persecution in England. And the compact, as I mentioned, was signed November 21st in 1620. Those signing the covenant before they ever set foot on land and they felt that need to do so so that they had some kind of structure for this new adventure. And here it is. Here's the verbiage that they use. This is awesome. It says, quote, in the name of God, amen. Now the word amen means so be it. So they're putting forth this covenant in the name of God. That is number one point of importance. It says here, we whose names are underwritten. Now I've consolidated this a little bit. Obviously the language is from the 1600s. So uh, this is the modern version as well. But here's here's the nuts, nuts and bolts of what they accomplished with this covenant before God Almighty, before ever setting foot on American soil. It says, we whose names are underwritten, having undertaken for the glory of God and advancement of the Christian faith and the honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia. Isn't that wonderful? That big, 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 big picture that they had for this voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia. It goes on to say, do by these presents, meaning the people, there solemnly and mutually in the presence of God and one another covenant and combine ourselves together into a civil body politic for our better ordering and preservation 
and furtherance of the ends aforesaid, a.k.a. the glory of God and advancement of the Christian faith. Isn't that a wonderful thing to know that this entire nation, before there were English settlers, before the the Constitution, before the Declaration of Independence, the first governing document of this great nation was the Mayflower Compact that specifically outlined that the actions of these brave individuals were to seek the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. So no wonder that today we get this glorious opportunity to share the love of God through the truth of his word here on Get Your Love on Radio. Isn't that incredible? Thank you, Lord. But these men, they knew what to do. They knew the importance of what they were undertaking because they also knew their word. Here's Hebrews 8 verse 10, it says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. They understood that God was also making covenants with man from the onset. And we're going to understand here what a covenant before God really means. But these men made a covenant with God because they knew their word. And God made a covenant first with Noah before the flood in Genesis 6, 18. And I encourage you to go read that. We have a whole message on Noah and the importance of what Noah accomplished and that covenant from God in our show archives. So go to getyourloveon.org and you can access that. But God made another covenant with Noah after the flood, after that cleansing was accomplished, after that incredible, mighty, miraculous work was accomplished. Yeah, God made another covenant with Noah in Genesis 9-8. It says, And God spake unto Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you. So there's a great longevity in the covenants that God lays out. And in Genesis 17, God has a mighty and powerful covenant with Abram, renaming him Abraham. And of course, he is the father of our faith. It says in Genesis 17, verse 1, And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. That word perfect means sincere and upright. And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Well, God offered that covenant to him, and you saw that humility where Abram first just fell on his face. And then God went on further to say, Thou shalt be a father of many nations. That's the covenant that God laid forth before Abraham. Let's go down to verse 16 now. This is really interesting. It says, God is further instructing Abraham and tells him that his wife, Sarah, who had not borne him a son, 
God says in verse 16, And I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Well, then Abraham Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is 90 years old bear? Well, God made the covenant with Abraham up there in the earlier verses. And then he's outlining very specifically how he's going to do it. And Abraham, he kind of was like, wow, this is new. How am I supposed to, what am I supposed to think about this? And he laughed within himself. Well, there's a lot of people currently uh, perhaps laughing within themselves at what's going on in this nation of America, this United States of America, because uh, it, it's, it looks peculiar. <laughs> but look, God's covenants are unbreakable. God is not a man that he can lie. When he promises things, when he reveals things to his prophets, they come to pass. Even if some kind of don't really know how they're going to come to pass, like Abraham didn't know how this was going to be possible. It, It hadn't ever been shown to him before. So he fell on his face and laughed in his heart. But here's what God says, verse 18. And I'm sorry, 18, Abraham said unto God, oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. So Abraham had a son and he's like, okay, well, maybe, maybe that's what God means. But nope. Verse 19, and God said, Sarah, thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and his and with his seed after him. God's very specific in his promises. He's very specific. And again, he is not a man that he can lie. He comes through on 100% of his promises in their unique specificity. And I love the Lord for that. Lord, we're thanking you for that and rejoicing in you right now. God does go on to say here too in verse 20. And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. He heard what Abraham had to say. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. Again, that specificity of God. Let's tune our ear to that. Let's be very aware of that. And let's make sure we walk in. In those covenants of God Almighty for everything we do. And we're going to learn a lot more about that today. We have two featured ministers, just incredible instruction in the word and how to walk in those perfect promises of God. Now, isn't that wonderful too, that God makes that covenant with Isaac? And we've also had incredible teaching in this radio program on those patriarchs, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, and how this covenant with God Almighty became reality. It did take time, and there were some very unique circumstances, but that election of God is so powerful, it is unchangeable. I'm going to say that one more time and give us all strength as we march on in our prayers. That election of God is so powerful. It is unchangeable. And that's why when God says, I am, but my covenant will I establish with Isaac. Boom. We've got it too. For those who believe in Jesus Christ in Nazareth. That's a little later on too, but let's get to what the word covenant means. 
The word covenant is in the Old Testament 252 times, each time the same definition in the Hebrew. It means a compact. Now, the word compact means to join or unite closely and firmly united as the particles of a solid body to be firm, close, and dense. When God is establishing that covenant with us, it means he is closely united with us. The word covenant means confederacy, which means united in a league, allied by a treaty, engaged in a confederacy, banded together, allied. It means a league. So we are in that We are in a treaty with God Almighty. He engages us in that very close compact, in that contract, which is why in Ezekiel 1660, despite the nation of Israel really not doing their side, not coming on and and doing what they need to do before the Lord, not being obedient, not remembering God, Ezekiel 1660 says, Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with thee in the days of thy youth, and I will establish unto thee an everlasting covenant. Isn't that wonderful? That's the promise of God. And this this fact, these facts, both the covenant God made with Abraham, his, his faith to be able to believe it, the understanding that when God makes a covenant, They are everlasting. They are eternal. God is eternally righteous. That's why Apostle Paul in Romans 4 could then write about Abraham. Despite even Abraham laughing at the idea of this happening, (laughs) it did happen. God did answer the promises. And because Abraham, it says in Romans 4, verse 18, who hoped against, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Abraham, verse 20 staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. So were the pilgrims, and so can we be today. Staggering not at the promise of God through unbelief. Staggering not at the promise that God will deliver to us a just and righteous government, judges, governors, leaders at all, at all phases, at all levels. God will deliver that. We get to be strong in faith and then give glory to God because we are strong in faith. Why? Verse 21. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. That's right. Of course, God can perform anything he promises. Of course he can. He's God Almighty. But because Abraham came to that realization, it says in verse 22, And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. But it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed. That righteousness of faith becomes ours. It becomes ours as we walk forward strong in faith, being fully persuaded that what God has promised, he is also able to perform. 
And here it is. It will be imputed to us. Here's verse 24. This is Romans 4, verse 24. It's so important. If we believe on him that raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, believing in Christ is our fulfilling that everlasting covenant that God spoke about in Ezekiel, in Genesis, and throughout the word, all 252 times. That's the promise of God was Jesus Christ of Nazareth coming, being crucified. And you're, you're going to hear more about the incredible, wondrous work of Christ's um, resurrection and how that gives us that strength we need to walk in faith today. You're going to hear more about that a little bit later on in the show. It's incredible. But that's the ticket right there. This righteousness these covenants from God Almighty, these covenants that, that the Mayflower Compact put out, that, that Abraham was to walk in, we get to walk in that as well, those promises, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. That's incredible. And even further, that covenant helps us in our day-to-day life. According to Romans eleven twenty-seven. it says, For this is my covenant unto them. When I shall take away their sins, we get to walk free of sin, sickness, and disease through the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's how important this covenant is before God Almighty, that sins are taken away. Sickness, disease, sickness, and disease are taken away through the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, interestingly enough, this is so wonderful when we get to study the word. And of course, here on Get Your Love On, we do read the King James Version of the Bible. And we encourage you to spend time reading it for yourself as well, digging out these incredible deep meanings of what God Almighty has intended for the human soul. And each one of us as individuals, we get to choose what we uh what we want, what we want to glean from God. We get to ask him and he'll give it to us. And we get to choose the tenacity which with we pursue these covenants and these promises from God. And so it's really interesting in the New Testament when Apostle Paul wrote in Romans, for this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. That word covenant also means contract. But the root meanings... the root meaning of the word contract is to actually bow or kneeling. It's through subjection to the Holy Spirit that this covenant is accomplished. And that was the foundation of the United States of America. That this new thing, that's why the Puritans were leaving. They, they were fleeing religious persecution. They needed that new thing. They needed that total promise of God to be enacted in this nation, a free nation, by yielding to the Holy Spirit. That's what created the United States of America, to allow this word right now to go across this land spoken by the Holy Spirit. That's how incredible this work is. That's how precious your soul is, is the Lord carved out this this incredible incredible working that literally 400 years later, this word is going out across the land. And as the word says, it shall accomplish that which God sets it to accomplish. So bless God and thank you, Lord. 
And those pilgrims, they understood the grandeur of this new covenant that they were putting forth before the Lord as well. They understood the covenants that the Lord had set forth before them and that they were putting out before the Lord. And just like Noah, after the flood, after he jumped on dry land, what was the first thing he did? He gave thanks to God. And so it's no wonder that the pilgrims also chose to establish that incredible tradition of thanksgiving. And so what does the word say about giving thanks? It's, it is an incredible Bible study. So grab your word, go ahead and grab it off the shelf. Or, or if you're driving in your car, you can, you know, maybe commit these scriptures to memory. But there, in Psalms, it's really interesting because Psalms 105, 106, and 107, those three consecutive Psalms all begin with this. In a a slightly different iteration, but giving thanks to the Lord. It says in Psalms 105, verse 1, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Well, Lord, we're doing this today. We're thanking you for that incredible stance on the Mayflower Compact. We are thanking you for the faith and righteousness of every individual that stood in the gap for 400 years to allow this word to go out across this land internationally and beyond any border to those ears that need to hear it, Lord. We're calling upon your name. We are making known your deeds among all people today. Psalms 106 verse 1 says, Praise ye the Lord. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. In verse in Psalms 107 verse 1, it says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. You know, the Lord, the, the word is so incredible. And every time it repeats itself, I take note. And a lot of a lot of people are enduring great affliction right now at the hands of of unrighteous governments. And, and that's here in the United States of America. We have some governors that have taken uh, obscene measures. And um, then there's nations across the globe, communist nations, that take outrageously oppressive measures as well. Well, we can give thanks to the Lord because we know he is good and his mercy endures forever. So for all those enduring that affliction and that oppression, know that God's mercy endures beyond any of that oppression. And God is the great deliverer. And again, we'll hear more on that a little bit later on. But interestingly enough, the Hebrew meaning of the word thanks, this is so fascinating. And it really helps us understand why the Psalms and King David we're so emphatic about giving thanks to God. The Hebrew meaning of the word thanks is to use the hand <laughs> to physically to throw or to revere and worship with extended hands, to bemoan a wringing of the hands. It's, a, it's an all-out expression of everything that's within you and a wringing of the hands. It also means to cast out. Well, by giving thanks, we are certainly casting out doubt. By giving thanks, we certainly cast out fear. It's, a, it's, it's accomplishing so much in the spirit, in our own soul, and before God Almighty. It also, when we give thanks, we are just to cast it out and let it, let it be. Just let that, that action in and of itself 
be before God and let it accomplish what it's meant to accomplish. It means to confess, praise, shoot. Again, give it a shot. <laughs> you know, if if you're in a tough spot, if if your life isn't where you want it to be, if if you need a rescue, start praising God. Start thanking the Lord. Give that a shot and see how your life changes. I love that. The Hebrew meaning of the word thanks is to use the hands. Now, the root of thanks, if you dig a little deeper and you get the, the, the root word, it is the hand. It is open hand. It means power, means direction. Our ability to thank the Lord, to give thanks to the Lord is our power. <laughs> it's the direction in our life. Our ability to do that, our ability just to let it all out and to give all that thanks to the Lord with open hands is the power of our life. Now, this word also has, quote, a great variety of application. But here's a sample of some of that definition of what it means to give thanks. It means to consecrate. It means with strength. The more we give thanks to the Lord, the more we will receive that strength from him. And then it it becomes a beautiful building process where God gives us more and more strength. We thank him for more and more strength. He gives us for more, you know, God builds layer upon layer. It means because of. <laughs> we have our power. We have our direction because we can give thanks, because we can use our hands and give thanks to God Almighty. Well, every time we lay hands to heal, every time we lay hands to hug or comfort, we get to give, that's, that's a way of giving thanks to God Almighty for his incredible work that has given us this free nation. I also thought this was kind of interesting. The root meaning of this word is dominion. <laughs> yeah, because regardless of what uh, what's going on out there, God has dominion. And he has given us dominion through his Holy Spirit. Again, remember how that word covenant means it's a contract that that the root of it is yielding to the Holy Spirit? Yeah. We have dominion once we yield to the Holy Spirit. And again, we have our beautiful minister, Corey, who has an incredible message. You're going to want to stay tuned for the whole show because that yielding is so critical for success to have that true dominion through God Almighty. So giving thanks, it's it's not just a, a presence of mind or it's not just an attitude of gratitude. It's so much more. It's action. It's literally the force of our life. It's the strength of our life. It's our hands at work in a great application, as I mentioned. So when we put our hands to anything, it's a type of giving thanks. So let's do accordingly. Now, when you look at the word thanks in the New Testament, and I always kind of love to look at the same word in the Old Testament versus the New Testament, because the Old Testament is Christ concealed. It's God letting us know that there's going to be an everlasting covenant and that that promise is coming. The New Testament is Christ revealed. It is that fullness and it is that promise being delivered by God Almighty. So I always kind of take a, a extra time to review the Old Testament versus the New Testament. And this, this one uh, really means so much. The Greek meaning of the word thanks 
It's mainly to be grateful, to express gratitude, to act grateful. But the root meaning of it is to be well-favored. So in order to be grateful, it actually starts with understanding that we are well-favored of God. The fact that we live here in America, those of us who do, is an incredible, it's an incredible answer to prayers. You know, those pilgrims making that covenant with God set forth a, a work of the Lord that 400 years later is is reverberating across the globe. Wow. So yeah, before we can truly be grateful, we get to understand that incredible favor of God that is ours. The root word is to grant favor, pardon, rescue. So truly the heart of thanksgiving is to understand the rescue that Jesus Christ has wrought from sin, sickness, and disease. So to understand how to thank God, we first get to understand how he forgives, how he's pardoned us, how he favors us, and how he established that covenant that was outlined in Romans to take away our sins. And the again, if you dig a little deeper, and again, when we take our time to read the word and review these things, we have that opportunity to understand these deeper, deeper meanings. So the root of that root word in the New Testament is graciousness. So we started at thanks, we went to gratitude, and then the root of that is favor, and the root of that is graciousness, divine influence of the heart, and its reflection in the life. So not only is it, again, that great gratitude in our heart, in our mind, in our one-on-one interaction with the Lord, in, in our ability to wake up, just, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord, thank you. And, and that just rolls off of my tongue every morning when I wake up. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Not only is it that, it's also the reflection in our life. It's also how we interact with one another. It's also that graciousness that we offer our brothers, our sisters, and our neighbors. And we have an incredible message from our beloved brother Bob, a true apostle of God, that will outline that in great detail as well. So again, stay tuned because we need both. We need that understanding of God's grace and our hands praising God through that wide application that we discussed about from the Old Testament. We need both. And through God's grace, we get to understand the rescue that Christ performed, the favor we receive from God, and can fully express our gratitude to him in word and action. So a couple things that the word instructs us to give thanks to God for. Let's go to Psalms 136. Because again, his mercy, God's mercy endures forever. And Psalms 136 really outlines this. In fact, the entire the entire Psalms ends with for his mercy endures forever. Every verse ends with those same few words. And the word mercy, the Hebrew meaning of the word mercy is kindness, to show self merciful, beauty, good deeds. Yeah, God's Good deeds, they last forever. They endure forever. God has an eternal perspective. The more we seek to understand that, 
the better off we'll truly understand all his promises. And again, our brother, our friend Corey, he does a wonderful job in his message. We'll hear that in just a moment. So Psalms 136, it's really interesting, though, how the psalmist King David outlines certain things to give thanks unto the Lord. So let's read a few of them. It says in verse 1, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods, for his mercy endures forever. Yeah, we don't thank fake gods. We don't thank the false gods out there. We don't thank the big shots that are trying to act like they have authority. Nope. We direct all of our thanks, all of our gratitude, all of that attention, that intensity that was outlined because we understand that rescue and that covenant that God's made with us, that intensity, we direct it straight to the God of gods. Verse three, it says, oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords for his mercy endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders for his mercy endures forever. God's mercy endures and he is the only one that can do the great wonders that he promises of us. So again, that's why we focus all of our attention and all of our intention to the almighty God, the God of gods, the Lord of lords. Let's go down to verse 16 now. It says, To him which led his people through the wilderness, for his mercy endures forever. That wilderness is is a great quagmire of questions right now. God will lead his people through all the questions and give great clarity and great direction through his power. Why? Because his mercy endures forever. We get to thank him for that. Verse 17 says, To him which smote great kings, for his mercy endures forever, and slew famous kings, for his mercy endures forever. Yeah, the big shots, they don't they don't got a shot <laughs> against God Almighty. We have all the power as we give our thanks to the Lord again. What does that, what's the root of that thanks mean? Means power, means direction. As we give our thanks to God Almighty, yeah, he'll, he'll handle all the so-called great kings and the famous kings. <laughs> yeah, we've been praying pretty steadily for some, quote, famous kings to topple. They're, they're kings in their own mind and they'll topple. Because God's mercy endures forever. We get to rest in that. Verse 23, we'll jump down again. This is Psalms 136. Verse 23, it says, Who remembered us in our low estate, for his mercy endures forever. God remembers each one of us. Again, that's why that word thanks means to shoot it out, to cast it out, to to give it a shot. Yeah. If we're in a low estate, man, that is the time to start thanking the Lord. And see what happens. See, you won't be doing that long before you're just overflowing with the blessing of God. And then he'll give us that pure, clear direction. God is not a man that he can lie. He gives us that great direction, those wonderful instructions. And again, we have more instruction from the word and how to accomplish that. So let's keep our ears really finely tuned here. In verse 24, it says, And hath redeemed us from our enemies. For his mercy endures forever. God redeems us from our enemies. Bank on that. Who gives food to all flesh. For his mercy endures forever. And we'll hear about how thanking the Lord expands that 
food to all. And of course, we're fed by the word of God as well. So again, this word going out across the land is again, God's promises coming to pass. Isn't that wonderful? Every day. Verse 26, here we go. Oh, give thanks unto the God of heaven, for his mercy endures forever. Isn't that wonderful? All these incredible things that God does, these miracles, these promises that are being fulfilled right before our eyes. You know, Abraham, <laughs> and again, go go back and review some of these messages on Get Your Love On. We had a, a two-part series about, it's called The Unchangeable Power of God's Election. And it goes through the patriarchs of how how they steadily pursued God through great trial and circumstance. But God came through for them because of that. So as we give thanks to the Lord, as we watch these promises fulfilled and thank him for those promises, we will see more and more the evidence of God fulfilling his covenant with this great nation, the United States of America. And then the furtherance of the gospel going out beyond there, as beyond these borders as well. It already has, and it will continue into the nations that have been wrongfully and sorely oppressed. And there are Christians crying out across this globe for freedom. Well, the Lord's, Lord's doing it. He's going to do it. He's, he will set the captives free. He will. Psalms 118 This is really interesting, too. (laughs) You know, if you want to know how King David accomplished so much, slaying Goliath and uh, getting Israel to a place that it it could praise God and, and do what God Almighty intended that nation to do, he accomplished a lot. And Psalms 118 is an indication of how he started and began the psalm with the exact same verse. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. Because his mercy endures forever. Let's rest in God's mercy. Let's understand that kindness, those good deeds that God's doing. And understand that those endure forever. And give thanks to the Lord for that. And we will see our lives prosper in ways that, you know, would would previously make us laugh. Just like Abraham laughed. He's like, wow, God, how is this promise going to come to pass? Well, I've, I've personally experienced that where the Lord's blessed me so immensely above and beyond anything I could even ask or think. I just kind of laugh. I, well, Lord, thank you. I just keep thanking him for that. We can lean on that. We can thank the Lord for his mercy, put our hands to that work, showcasing that mercy and kindness in our own lives and allowing it to endure through all circumstance. So yes, we get to thank the Lord for our faith And the word of God going across this land as well. We're talking about how to give thanks to God. Well, the word's going out as the pilgrims intended. And in Romans 1 verse 8, it says, this is Apostle Paul speaking. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. That's our statement as well. That's our stance as well. What else do we get to thank God for? How about grace for ourselves and others? This is 1 Corinthians 1.4. It says, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God, which is given you by Jesus Christ. Ooh, how precious is that? Again, yielding to the Holy Spirit is the key 
to actually being able to give thanks and be part of that covenant with God Almighty. And again, our wonderful minister, Corey, really nails that. So stay tuned. We also get to thank God for spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 14, 18 says, I thank my God. I speak with tongues more than you all. Isn't that wonderful? We get to thank God that we have that beautiful heavenly language that goes directly to him. If you're not familiar with speaking in tongues and you'd like to learn more about it, go to getyourloveon.org. We have some beautiful teaching. Again, it is evidence of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And we have some wonderful Bible studies that are very, very thorough, as well as previous shows that instruct on this. But those Bible studies are really thorough. So go ahead and get go to getyourloveon.org for those. And then we all can speak in, with tongues. But I love this too, because verse 18, we also get to thank God for that perfect understanding, that perfect decorum before him. It says, yet in the church, I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice, I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. So again, we'll hear more about that and why it's important to have that perfect understanding as well as give thanks to the Lord for beautiful spiritual gifts that that are critical for our understanding, for our growth, and for our walk before the Lord. What else do we get to thank God for? How about righteous victories? 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 48. It says, It is God that avengeth me and that bringeth down the people under me. And that bringeth me forth from my enemies, thou also hast lifted me up on high above them that rose up against me. Thou hast delivered me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen, and I will sing praises unto thy name. Let's let's focus on that victory of righteousness in this nation and across the globe, because it is ours through through the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and through God Almighty. In fact, God gives us righteous victories, and he's given us eternal victory. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57. It says, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ's victory over sin, sickness, and disease is eternal and incredible and ours through our belief in God. It says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's right. Let's be unmovable and steadfast in our prayers that God is not a man that he can lie. He is only righteous and he comes through 100% of the time. Be encouraged and stand fast in, in our prayers, that we will see God's full victory. You know what else we get to thank God for? This is one of my favorite things to thank the Lord for, because we are so incredibly blessed to have the truth coming into our ears, to have the truth, the holy, holy word of God, the Bible, the King James Version of the Bible in front of us and be able to read it for ourselves. Such a blessing. And Apostle Paul knew that as well. You know, they, they were in a time where... Um, There was heavy affliction to just get the word out. So we get to thank God for hearing and receiving God's truth. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we'll start in verse 3. This is Apostle Paul speaking. 
It says, For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. Paul said this was our heart coming out. We're not here to entertain. We're not here to impress anybody. But we're here to give the pure word of God for the advancement of the Christian faith. That's right. Verse 6, it says, Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherishes her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear to us. Paul's saying, your soul, your individual soul is so precious before God Almighty, and God's given that same love for the human soul to a true apostle. And you're about to hear that in our in our next mes- uh, minister, Brother Bob. You're about to hear that incredible eternal love for the human soul comes straight from God Almighty through a true minister. And this is what Apostle Paul is talking about too. He's saying, we love you so much. We weren't willing to compromise any, anything of the word. We want you to have the pure gospel. And it says, as ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his children, that ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. Walk, we get to walk worthy of God. That's that thankfulness that God rescued us. He's given us this grace. He's given us this incredible mercy that endures forever. So yes, let us do our part in this covenant. Let us yield to the Holy Spirit and let us walk worthy of God. He has called us into his kingdom. It says, For this cause also, Thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, (laughs) which effectually worketh also in you that believe. As we believe God, we see his promises come to pass, and we can know, you can know that your soul is so precious The message you're about to hear uh, was recorded decades ago, and it's still so relevant for today. When you hear it, your soul's going to be so blessed. You're going to be like, wow, that sounds like it was recorded yesterday. Mm -hmm. God put a man on the earth with that incredible love for the human soul so that your heart can be blessed today. This is a a marvelous working of the Lord. So, Lord, yes, we give you thanks because there are souls receiving this word the word of God, not as the word of men. There are so many so-called ministers out there and so-called pastors out there that just, gosh, they're, they're preaching for doctrine, the commandments of men. It's not the word of God. So bless God that this is being received as it is in truth, the word of God, because then it will work effectually. In those that believe and we will see incredible revival across this land as this true word of god goes out 
So some other things that we get to bless and thank God for. How about all things? <laughs> That's right. In all things, we get to bless God. First Thessalonians 5.18, it says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And that graciousness and gratitude is toward God certainly in everything. It's also towards our coworkers and our neighbors and in all circumstance. The love God Almighty has for the human soul, as we showcase there in in, uh, 1 Thessalonians, it's incredible that through giving thanks, we get to watch the miracles. You know, when Christ did the miracles of the fishes and the loaves, he first gave thanks and then distributed. So that's giving thanks not only is our lifeblood, it's the power of our life, but it's also a way to multiply God's blessings. And, And the minister we have featured today his name's Brother Bob. He's my spiritual grandfather. You've certainly heard him here on this show before. And this, he had, the message he has for us today is incredible because he's a man who knew how to give thanks. He was a true apostle. The Lord's since taken him home to be with him actually many years ago. Uh, but God raised him up after miraculously healing him of terminal cancer of the stomach and the lungs. And so he spoke many times about how he would just freely rejoice in the Lord, just let it out because of that great deliverance, because of that great rescue. And he understood it. And of course, so then he put his hands to work in the ministry, giving thanks to God and simply ministering out of the word by the Holy Spirit, having fully yielded himself to the Holy Spirit, he launched an incredible, true fivefold ministry. And my beloved friends, it operates still today. It's the reason Get Your Love on Radio is here, feeding your soul, feeding my soul. It's because of that true fivefold ministry is still working in this land to perfectly equip the saints. Now, as I mentioned, Brother Bob did go on to be with the Lord, and this message was recorded during a television special a few decades ago. So you're going to hear some references to that. So I just wanted to give you the heads up for that. You'll also, as previously as previously mentioned, you're going to hear that incredible love for the human soul, just like Paul spoke of. Brother Bob gave himself and had great experience to offer when he ministers this message. It's called the First and Great Commandment. This is our beloved friend, Brother Bob. Today I have a very special message for you. It's a subject that you very seldom ever hear preached, if ever at all, in your churches or on television. It is the great and first commandment of God to love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and spirit, and your neighbor as yourself. Now, to love your neighbor is not being religious. You don't have to be religious to love God and your neighbor. All you have to do is have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I'm going to start today in the first general epistle of John in the back of your Bible, chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled the word of life. Now John was talking about Jesus here. He said, that which was from the beginning we have heard. They've heard the word, which we have seen with our eyes, that was Jesus in the flesh, which we have looked upon and handled with our hands, that was the body of Christ in the flesh. 
Today, the Word of God is this Bible. This is the true Word of God. I prefer the King James Version myself because it seems that I have a better understanding from it than from any of the other versions. It says, For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, speaking of Jesus, and bear witness. Now John says, I am a witness to the Word of God manifested in the flesh. And in another place he said, He that confesses that Jesus Christ came in the flesh is of God. He that will confess not that Jesus Christ came in the flesh is an antichrist and is not of God. Now that same Spirit of Christ is within us today in the form of the Holy Spirit. I confess that Jesus Christ, or Christ within, my hope of glory, is within me this day. I am a witness to that. And this is the witness you must have when you stand before God on Judgment Day or when the rapture takes place. All right, let's go a little further. He said, He bore witness, and He said, We show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us in the form of Jesus. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Folks, today this fellowship is what the gospel is all about. Your fellowship with God's people and with Jesus Christ Himself and with His Father through the Spirit or through the Word. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Do you know that's the second? It is, joy is the second spiritual gift of God. Love, joy, and peace are the first three. I will be ministering on those in a later telecast. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is light. God is also a consuming fire. And God also is love. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, or the knowledge of the word, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Do you notice he said we walk in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Who's he talking about there? Let me give you a demonstration. I have many friends, many, many wonderful friends, and I go to their stores and to their businesses, and we have fellowship one with the other because we love one another. We never have an argument. We have nothing to argue about. We don't argue about religion because we don't have religion, we have salvation. You can stand and argue about religion all day long, it won't do you a bit of good. But you start talking and telling one another what good things Jesus has done for you, that is the fellowship of God, one with the other. That is showing the love of God, one toward the other. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's why you have to repent and be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness righteousness. Now, many people say you have to confess your sin to a man. No, you don't. He means you confess your sin to God in private. Don't ever be foolish enough to confess any of your past to a member of your church 
or anybody else. That's just between you and God. That is not necessary for you to go tell all the evil things that you did back there before you were converted or even now, even if you aren't converted. You tell it to the Lord and confess it to Him out on a stump somewhere, or out in private, or in your back room, or wherever you can get in private. That's the place to confess your sin to God. So don't go telling anybody in the natural about any of your sins. The Bible doesn't say to confess your sins to man. It does say confess your faults one to another, but not your sin. Because once Jesus buries that sin, you've confessed it to him, he's buried it in water baptism, you never have to think about it again. That's the end of it, folks. It's just that easy. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write unto you, that you sin not. Now he's going to tell you in the next verses how not to sin. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You see right there it says if we have any, if we have any sin, we have an advocate or a mediator between God and man, which is Jesus Christ the righteous. So confess your sin to him and leave it with him and tell it to nobody else ever again. That's the end of it. That's the kind of God we are serving today. You're not serving an unrighteous God, one that you can't talk to, one that can't hear you. So you folk that want to get right with the Lord and stay right, you just do what I'm telling you today and you will make it fine because you'll feel the love and the joy and the peace in your soul, in your heart, and in your mind. It says, and he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, there's only one unpardonable sin. That's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, or blasphemy of the Holy Ghost, as it's put in the book. And that is attributing the works of God to the devil. That's the only unpardonable sin. Some of you folk out there have written me and said, well, Reverend Taylor, I've sinned so much, I don't know whether God will ever forgive me. Well, who is forgiven much loves him much. I was forgiven much, so I love him very much. But my sin remains no more. I'm not reminded of it anymore. God took it away once and for all. And I've been free now for 32 years. And this is the message I want you people to understand and know that you can and you will and you shall be free by the hearing of the word. All right, let's go a little further. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. You know his commandments aren't grievous. They're easy to keep. Some ministers get up and say, it's hard to serve God. It's the most easy thing in the world. It's hard if you listen to false prophets and to false teachers that tell you that you can't be free of sin, but God's book says you can. I've been free of sin for 32 years. I've made some mistakes, but I just turned around and said, Lord, forgive me, and that was the end of it. I'm not going to say you won't make some mistakes after you're converted. One man come to me and said, Reverend Taylor, I don't think I can serve God. I'd be making too many mistakes. I said, well, all you have to do is say, Lord, forgive me and go on. The man took my word. He's still serving the Lord today. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. Mm -hmm. Listen to this now. If you keep his word, the love of God makes you perfect. There's an old saying out there, no man's perfect. Oh yes, God commands us to be perfect. He says, be ye perfect, 
even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. Folks, you can be made perfect. Not in a religious way, but in a salvation way. When you receive true salvation, the Holy Spirit, then you become perfect in the sight of God. He that saith he abideth in him ought also himself to walk as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which you have from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past. Once you receive the Holy Spirit, all the darkness of this world is past, the evil of the mind and so on. And the true light now shines, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ in your mind, body, soul, and spirit. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness until now. Folks, if any of you have aught against anybody or hate anybody, repent of it now and ask the Lord to take it away and put love there for them instead of the hate. I'll tell you one thing. Your heart will beat much slower and you'll be much more contented. Uh-huh. You'll feel the Spirit of the Lord come upon you. You'll feel the good feeling and the love of God come into your soul. He that loveth his brother abides in the light, and there is no occasion of stumbling in him. Now, who is your brother? Who is your brother? He's the man that runs the hardware store, the coffee shop, the service station, your next-door neighbor, me. I'd make a lot of you folks a real brother out there, because I really love you as a brother. All you people out there, I love you as a brother. And I have to say that before God. And I'm going to have to give account for what I say. So I can't lie to you on television. I really do love you. I do care about you. If I didn't care, I've got an easy way of making a living. I don't have to do, be a, a television minister. That's hard work. It's very hard work. It's very demanding. But I do love you. And because I love you, this is why I want you to hear the Word of God right from His book. This is the source right here. If any of you have an old Bible that hasn't been opened for a while, go dust it off. Start reading in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Epistles of John. It's terrific. You'd be surprised how fast you'll gain favor in the sight of God and man. You'll be surprised how fast your personality will change without being religious about it, just between you and the Lord. Mm-hmm. Instead of picking up a magazine tonight, go open your Bible and read a ways. Just read a little way. Ask the Lord to open up the knowledge of the Scripture to you. Ask Him to give you a perfect understanding. Ask Him to give you love and joy and peace. Ask Him to bring your family back together. Mm -hmm. If you're on the outs with your wife or your husband, God will fix it for you. He'll bring that love that can be felt into your home and into your soul. This is what God wants His people to do. This is the way God wants you to be. He wants you to be free and happy. He wants you to be perfect in His sight. He wants you to prosper and be in physical health and have your soul prosper at the same time. Listen to this now, folks. But he that hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and knows not where he goes, but because that darkness has blinded his eyes. There's so many people I hear that have ought against somebody or something. I hear so much of it. And I quote the scripture to them. And you know, this is the only thing that's going to change the world right now, is to get our moral values back, get to loving our neighbor and helping one another, looking after one another, blessing one another, and being a blessing one to the other. That's the only thing that's going to cure the ills of this world today. Folks, we've got a long ways to go. 
we got a lot of material to work on. 300 million alone in the United States alone needs this, to love their neighbor as their self. I'm talking about their natural neighbor, their uh, alien neighbor, whatever. Love everybody and love the Lord first, and then you will love everybody because he loved you enough first that he saved you while you were yet in your sin. And will still save you while you're yet in your sin. Mm -hmm. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Do you know there's no other name named under heaven and earth by which you must be saved? And that name is Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. It says, I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him. That is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. You know, if you know Jesus, you know the Father also. Because there's a scripture that says, He that hath the Father hath the Son, and he that hath the Son hath the Father also. Providing you have the Holy Spirit within you, you have both the Father and the Son within you. They are one Spirit. And John, in the front of the Bible, he said, Father, make them, his, meaning his converts, one as we are one. One Spirit. One Spirit in him. Wouldn't that be nice just to stand up and say, I know that I know God and I'm one spirit in him. I can say that today. I just said it. I am one with God. His spirit and my spirit line up. I wouldn't be afraid to die in a moment. I'm not afraid of death and I'm not afraid of living. Before I was converted, I was afraid of dying and I was afraid of living. But now I have no fear whatsoever of anything because I know God is my father and that he's within me. And as soon as I leave this body, my spirit will go to meet him, ever to be with the Lord. Listen to this. I have written unto you fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you young men, because you are strong. Young men, God needs you today, and he wants you real bad. He wants you young women too. Don't waste your lives on adultery and fornication. Turn to the Lord now. It's your only hope and it's your only salvation in this day and time. Dope won't do you any good. And all the lust of the world, it's going to pass away. But this word, if you get it written on the tables of your mind and your heart, will go with you throughout an eternity. Now is the day of salvation because God said you're strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. You that haven't overcome, you can within a moment in the twinkling of an eye. All you have to do is say, Jesus, here am I. Fill me with what that preacher is talking about today. The Bible says, how are they going to hear unless they have a preacher? And how is he going to preach unless he's been sent of the Lord? Well, I'm preaching it to you as one son of the Lord. I know what I'm talking about. I've experienced it now for 32 years. And after 32 years, I still love God. I can't see anywhere to go back to. There's nothing in this world that interests me except getting the gospel out to you dear ones out there that so dearly need it and are looking for it. I see so many young people receiving the word today and getting saved and praising the Lord in the open. So many are doing it now. It's not a fad. It's just a good thing to happen like it used to in days of old. It says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You know, Jesus once said, Seek first the kingdom of God, and all things will be added unto you. Natural things will be added unto you. I have never lacked one thing since I've served the Lord in 32 years. All the natural things that I need is supplied by God and His people. It's so easy, folks. God will start blessing you like you wouldn't believe if you'll just trust Him.
says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. Now that explains television real good. It brings in the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life and all the other things. Well, don't lust after it. Just go on and serve God in your way according to your own personality. That's the way to do it. It says, And the world passes away and the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God abides forever. Now, folks, this, in, in 2 Peter, in the, in the back of the Bible, you'll find where this world is going to be burned up and the elements thereof. So anything that you've got in this world that you've loved more than God is going to be burned up. Anything that you've done wrong in this world, you're going to burn for it unless you repent of it. And that's just putting it straight. There is a literal hell. I know because I've got thousands of scripture on it. There is a literal hell, but there is a glory also. And this is what God wants you to do. Join Him in glory through the hearing of the word and bringing your faith to Him. Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. Now this was written sometime almost 1983 years ago, folks. And they said it was the last time then. It was the last time then. That was the end of time then. Actually, the end of time, according to the scripture, was when Jesus hanged on the cross and said, it is finished. That was the end of time. Since then, this world has been on the long-suffering of God. We have been on the long-suffering of God for 1983 years. It's been the long-suffering of the Lord. Mm -hmm. Because even here, it said it was the last time. But a day is as a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years as a day. So folks, if we lived to be a hundred years old, we'd have less than 27 minutes to prepare ourselves to meet God in His time. Isn't that something? Think about it now. And here you can get right with God in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, by saying, Lord, here am I, save me, and fill me with your Spirit. Mm -hmm. You folks that want to be baptized, you write to me. My name will be on the rolls, my address, and I'll find a pastor that will baptize you. Mm -hmm. Get you ready to meet God. It says, They went out from us, but they were not of us, speaking of the Antichrist. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Now, everybody that says they're a Christian is not a Christian. Don't, so don't believe everybody. But everybody that comes up to you and says, I know Jesus Christ is alive and he's alive in my flesh today, that is a true Christian. When they come up and say, I've got Christ within my hope of glory, that's a true Christian. And they can say it with the evidence thereof, like speaking in tongues and so forth. I'll minister on that later on in one of my next telecasts. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. When you get the Holy Spirit, God will teach you all things. He'll teach you very well by His Spirit. I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? But he that denies that Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is the Christ. Anyone that denies that Jesus Christ is the Christ is a liar. In other words, they're of the devil. He is an antichrist that denies the Father and the Son. And we've got a lot of them in the world today. 
especially in our school systems and in our government. They are actually denying God. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledges the Son hath the Father also. I've got both the Spirit of the Father and the Son within me. I've had him there 32 years that I know of. Let that therefore abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. Now you stop and think. God promises you eternal life, perfect eternity, eternal life in his presence. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you, and you need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, you shall abide in him, or remain in him. So you folks that believe in God, hold fast your belief. Hold it fast and let no man talk you out of it. Let nothing come between you and that belief in God. And now, little children, abide in him. John seems to be pleading here with these people. <clears throat> abide in him. That when he shall appear, you may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. You see, if you don't have the Spirit of God within you, you will be so ashamed at his coming that there will only be one place that you can go, and that's down or away from him. You'll be cast out. Because nothing unclean will enter into the kingdom of God. And shame is unclean. How many of you have ever done anything that you've been ashamed of and hated to face your parents or the person that you uh, uh, brought the shame against? Well, that's just the way you're going to feel when you stand before God if you're not ready to meet Him. This is why He sent men like me to prepare you to meet Him at His coming. And folks, He's coming soon. I believe right now the way the world has gone, it's gone past the point of return. Unless we have an old-fashioned Nineveh-type revival, America is finished. This hemisphere is finished. There will be no return. The only thing that can happen to it is God burn it up to get rid of the shame and the sin. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Jesus told Nicodemus, said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Now, a lot of people claim to be born again. But God says to be born again, you must be born again of the water, the blood, and the Spirit. It's not just going out and professing that you're born again. Go to some church and say, well, I've received the Lord as my personal Savior, so I'm born again. It doesn't mean that. It means to repent, to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. This is Acts 2.38. And to receive the Holy Ghost. For it says the promise is to you and to your children, even as a many as afar off as the Lord our God shall call. Folks, today is the day of salvation. There will be no other day soon for you to hear the word of God as it's written in the book through a minister that is full of love, full of joy, and full of peace. In Isaiah, Isaiah said, God's people perish for lack of knowledge. Many are perishing today because they don't even have the knowledge that you've already heard today. 
They don't even have the knowledge that they can repent and receive God's Spirit and receive redemption for their soul and forgiveness of all sin without going through some kind of religious ritual. Your ritual will be between you and God. You need no other man to stand between you and God. Jesus Christ is already standing there for you. Even at this hour, he's right beside you. So if you'd like to get right with the Lord, just say, Jesus, here am I, Lord. Forgive me of my sin. Take me as I am and use me according to my own personality. Or just say nothing except, Lord, forgive me, a sinner. Save my soul. Fill me with thy spirit. And let me go and serve you the rest of my days on this earth while I have the time. Well, folks, I see my time is getting away. I want to ask God to bless you mightily today. I'll be praying for you. I want you to know I love each and every one of you. Now may God richly bless you and keep you is my prayer. I would like for you to pray for me because I love you very much. And now is the day of salvation. I will see you on my next telecast. God bless you and goodbye for now. Amen. That was our wonderful brother, Bob, my spiritual grandfather. And as you heard, the simplicity of the gospel is incredible. And as you heard brother Bob say, if you would like to get baptized, please reach out to us at getyourloveon.org. We have a contact tab and we too will make that same commitment. We have an entire team behind us. As I mentioned, the fivefold ministry that he established is the reason that Get Your Love On Radio is here at all. So of course, we want to make sure that you are fully fed uh, in the same commitment that Brother Bob made to you. And as I mentioned earlier, that was recorded decades ago, and it still just blessed my soul immensely. I hope it did yours as well. We have another incredible minister for you today. Uh, You know, God is the great restorer, and right now our land is in need of restoration for sure. God is a great friend, and he gives us incredible instruction to make our way through anything, through all circumstances. So when we need encouragement and instruction, when we need the wisdom for the hour, we get to go to the Word. And so here at Get Your Love on Radio, we love featuring ministers who carefully wait on the Lord and study their Word for such a time as this, to free souls and to keep us walking in Christ's eternal victory and in that perfect faith and perfect knowledge of God. As you just heard Brother Bob say, so few people have even what we've discussed on this radio show today, let alone the totality of the understanding of what God's actually doing in this land. So let's let's uh, make sure that the ministers that we're listening to have that perfect knowledge, that perfect faith, and walk in that perfect victory. And our friend, Corey, well, he's one such minister. We have a series on YouTube featuring some of the wisdom that the Lord's given him. The series is called The Sermon on the Mount, and it's incredible. Each each segment is about 10 to 15 minutes long, and it, it'll just bless you with that perfect instruction and that perfect knowledge. And so uh, we've been featuring him in that capacity, but this message is something so special. This is a very recent message that the Lord gave him for these unique circumstances. This is part one of a two-part message that we will continue next week, and he begins in Psalms 37. Go ahead and grab your Bible, and let's follow along with our friend Corey. Today, we're going to go through Psalm 37. Now, Psalm 37 is 
at least to me, it's kind of a special psalm. It's one that I come back to quite often when there's a warfare in the spirit. And the reason for that is just the declarations the Lord makes throughout this psalm and the comfort that we find in it as we go through you know, the trials and experiences in this life. Regardless of what we go through or what we see happening on the face of the earth, God's got everything well in hand. Our place in all of this is to trust him and just carry out our part in what he wants us to accomplish on the earth. And as far as everything else goes, well, it's his call. He's going to let things progress a certain way for his purposes. And our place is to move his hand to establish righteousness in the earth and keep a place for the righteous to dwell as long as the Lord tarries and this world, and this world stands. Because this world is going to be done away with. It's temporary and it will pass. But as long as it stands, God's got a purpose in allowing things to continue. So let's start off in verse 1 of Psalm 37. And it says this, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. Well, this first verse here pretty much sets the tone for the entire chapter. What it says here is well, a couple of things. First off, it says, fret not thyself. Now to fret, in the Hebrew, this means to glow or grow warm, to have a heat of feeling. In other words, to blaze up in anger or zeal or jealousy. The Lord says we're not to allow ourselves to be carried away in that. And that goes along with being envious. To be envious, in my Webster's Dictionary, is to feel grief, discontent, or uneasiness at the sight of another's excellence or good fortune. And it's accompanied with some degree of hatred and a desire to possess equal advantages. With envy, being envious, there's uh, hatred and there's a covetousness involved as well. It's a malicious jealousy against another. The Lord says we're not to feel that way against those that are doing wicked. And this is why in verse 2, because he says, For they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and wither as the green herb. And no matter how well the wicked appear to be doing, as far as what they're carrying out, they're serving their own flesh. They're not serving the Lord. And the flesh is temporary. It's weak. It's sickly. And those that serve the flesh will only gain what the flesh has to offer. Now, he talks about that green herb in the original Hebrew. That word green actually means sickly yellow. You know, like you think of a sickly yellow plant. It's not healthy. It doesn't, it doesn't look good. It's, not, it's very weak and sickly. That's how the Lord views that flesh that they're trusting in. And the scripture also says this. Paul wrote this in Galatians 6. He says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Sowing to the flesh reaps corruption. Now corruption is decay or ruin. 
something that shrivels or withers, something that spoils by any process, is defiled or destroyed. This is why the Lord does not want us to be envious of the wicked. He doesn't want us to desire or covet what they seem to have. He doesn't want us to be grieved at their apparent success. Because if they do not have the Spirit of God, guess what? They've got nothing. They sow to their flesh. They're not reaping anything but destruction. We don't have to lose our peace. We're not to lose our peace over anything that we see going on, that the wicked are doing. We don't need to be carried, we aren't to be carried away in any anger or malicious feelings against them. Now, we do war of warfare against Satan, those, those evil spirits, but we don't, we're not jealous of the things that they're doing or the things that they, they seem to have or the, the influence they seem to be wielding because they really don't have anything. Whatever the wicked ones might be doing on the face of the earth, if God's allowing it to carry on for a season, he's got a purpose in it. What we are to do is verse 3. Rather than being carried away in anger or being envious against the wicked, we are to trust in the Lord and do good. That's what the Lord wants us to do. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. So to trust in the Lord is to see him as our refuge from danger and distress. And, you know, there's different levels of danger. There's or different kinds of danger. There's different levels of distress. Some can be mild and some can be very intense. But regardless of what we're facing, regardless of what the enemy might be trying to do, we trust in the Lord. We don't let ourselves be troubled by what those wicked ones are doing. So when we look to the Lord for our protection and we're doing what is pleasing to him, in other words, we're doing that good, those good things that are pleasing to him, he will provide a place for us and meet all of our needs. Now, we do have to be doing good. You know, if we're, we have an unrighteous anger that we're being carried away, away with or we're desiring to have what the wicked have, I mean, that's not doing good. That's actually evil in the eyes of the Lord. And we're desiring to have what the wicked has. We trust in the Lord and keep his peace in our mind and in our soul. He'll provide for us. He'll meet all of our needs. Because he says, verily thou shalt be fed. Now that word verily, that means firmness in a literal sense. In other words, it's stability, security, steadiness, faithfulness, truth. In other words, truly thou shalt be fed. Now that word verily can also mean as in truth or in faith. So the Lord made a promise here in verse 3 that verily thou shalt be fed or truly thou shalt be fed. But you can also read that as in truth thou shalt be fed. In faithfulness thou shalt be fed. In faith thou shalt be fed. In other words, we stick to the true, what's true, that's what will feed us. We keep our faith strong, that's what will feed us. We stay faithful to the Lord, that's what will feed us. So it's not just a promise, but he's also telling us, you want to be taken care of, this is how to, this is how to do it. Put your trust in the Lord. Yeah, Jesus said this, 
Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. Everyone on the face of the earth has those fleshly needs that need to be taken care of, those natural things. But what do we do? For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. Yeah, he made us. He knows we have these needs. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. That's Matthew 6, verses 31 to 33. So that's our priority. Our priority isn't in all the stuff that we need to have. God will just, God will take care of that when we trust in him. We just stick with him and show, uh, do what he shows us to do. And we don't need to be troubled by it. So he's our, he's our refuge, regardless of what the world's doing. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Now, this is interesting. To delight ourselves in the Lord actually means to be pliable or flexible in the Spirit. In other words, we yield to the Lord's influence and the Lord's desires rather than our own. And what does he say here in verse 4? So we, if we yield to the Lord's influence and the Lord's desires, guess what? He reciprocates. He'll actually give us our desires. We yield to the Lord's desires, he'll turn around and give us our desires. Why? Because there's a unity in the Spirit. Because if we're, if we're putting the Lord's desires first, that means that anything we desire for ourselves is going to line up with what God wants for us. There's a unity in the Spirit, and he doesn't deny himself. So he'll reciprocate to us. Come unto me, all ye, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And Jesus said that in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. God is in control of everything. Those that seek to exert their own will over the will of God, may find they're fighting an uphill battle they can't win. This is the labor and the heavy load that the Lord gives us rest from. He's you know, try, fight, trying to fight to exert our own will and carry out our own desires. When we yield to the Spirit, there's that easy yoke. There's that light burden. We're not carrying the weight of trying to force everything through by our own power. We're, we're handing it over to the Lord and letting Him dictate how the course of events are going to go. And the thing about resting from our own self-will is we'll also be resting from the sin that goes along with it. Because, you know, that self-will, that leads to breaking the commandments of the Lord one way or another. We have a rest from that too. Verse 5, Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Now I look this up in the Hebrew, and the word commit actually means to roll in a literal sense or in a figurative sense. You know, like, you know, rolling something, or roll the stone, you know, roll a ball. I thought that was kind of interesting because we know, we know what commit means. You know, you're committing to something. How does that apply in the spirit? Well, when we truly trust the Lord and we have that 
meekness and humility to yield to his will. You know, when we're meek and lowly in heart like the Lord is, we will entrust him with the course of our life and we'll commit our way to him. Now, as a boulder rolls down a hill under the force of gravity without any power of its own, when we commit our way to the Lord, the leading of the Holy Ghost will direct our course in the way it's supposed to go. That's that easy yoke. It's so simple when you just yield to the leading of the Spirit. It's like that rock just going, rolling down under that force of gravity. It's just the simplest, most natural thing in the world. That's when we just let the Lord take control and let him do what he's purposed to do and not try to fight against it and try to exert our own will in things. Because, you know, God's in control and God's all-powerful. So if we're trying to exert our own will, well, it's not going to work. He knows the course he wants things to go and we're just, it's going to be futile if we just try to do things our own way. So we commit to him. We have that easy yoke that's simple to follow and we just continue in it. And guess what happens when we do that? Verse 6, He shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. The Lord, our righteousness. Our righteousness is the Lord, our righteousness, as Jeremiah spoke of him. When we trust the Lord, when we yield to his will and commit our course to him, we walk as his representatives on earth. And his light shines through us. Jesus said this in John 8, 12. He said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Lord, our righteousness, shines through us. And Jesus also said this in Matthew 5, 14. He said, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. So we do have to be his representatives. It's not us ourselves shining in that righteousness and in that judgment. It's the Lord in us doing that. When we commit, our, commit ourselves to him, that's when he shines through us. And part of being the Lord's representatives is not being moved or troubled by what we see or hear going on across the face of the earth. Verse 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Now, to rest actually means to be dumb or be silent, to stop, to forbear, to hold your peace, to be still, or to wait. Yeah, wait on the Lord. To rest in the Lord is to leave off our own ability to bring something to pass and to allow him to do the work through the Spirit. In other words, we tap into the Lord through our prayer and our fasting and let him do the work. We're not out campaigning to make something happen. We're not out in the streets or getting involved in organizations or anything like that. We don't need to go there when we, when we have the Lord's Spirit. We get our prayers out before the Lord. We're not silent in the Spirit. We're not silent as far as um, our influence goes, it's our flesh that is silent. We're not out being in the middle of all the busyness trying to carry things through with our own power. 
So, yeah, we, we do our prayer and our fasting and rest in the Lord in that way. Now, it says to wait patiently, too. Now, to wait patiently, in the Hebrew, it actually refers to writhing in pain of childbirth. You know, that travail of a woman giving, giving birth and the, the pain and the expectation that's involved there. It's actually what, it, it's actually what waiting patiently refers to in the original Hebrew here. And you look at it, um, when, we, when we go through things, when we see things happening, you know, the, that can try our patience. And we may experience those times that try our patience when we're anticipating the Lord's hand to move, when we haven't, you know, gotten to the, the end of the matter yet. There's still a process of time that has to play out. And that can be like that pain of childbirth. There's an expectation because we know what the end of it is. You know, like that childbirth, we know there's that child coming. There's that birth coming. But there's still that time where those pangs, there's those pangs and, you know, everything and everything else that goes with it. And the stress, there's just those times. We, and we have to endure through that. The thing is, we don't allow those things to take our peace. You know, even though we're in, in that place. And we don't allow those things to provoke us to unrighteous anger. That unrighteous anger, part of that can be being angry against the Lord because we may not see what we want to see as of yet. Verse 7, fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices, wicked plots, or wicked plans to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. See, there's times where we're in that patient waiting and we've got to endure until the Lord, we see the Lord's hand move. We don't let ourselves get provoked or get angry, especially against the Lord, just because we don't see things uh, fully progressing like we want them to. See, the devil will always try to drive a wedge between us and the Lord. He, he's the enemy and he's, he's the one that tries to sow, dis, sow discord among brethren. And just because the Lord allows certain things to happen does not mean that he's forsaken us or that the devil has won anything. Because guess what? The Lord has the bigger picture. He's always got that large vantage point from eternity. I'll give you, uh, I'll give you an example here. Jesus said this to his disciples before the crucifixion. In John 16, 20, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that you shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. The enemy, the world, the enemy will rejoice. And you shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow. You know, this childbirth pain because her hour has come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. There's a process, it may not be fun, but there's something at the end of it. And God's got the bigger picture. And using this example, you know, at the time that the crucifixion of Jesus, that looked like a total an utter defeat for him and his disciples. In the natural, that's what it looked like. Just disaster with no hope of recovery. He was dead and buried. 
He was gone. But we know what the purpose of God was in all of that. And we know who really won in the end. God won and we won with him because that process carried through to the completion and the uh, perfect end that God had intended right from the very beginning. And Jesus' words to his disciples were proven to be true. Imagine how much joy they felt when the Lord appeared among them after that third day. That's where, so that's where we are to be as well. You know, even though there's a time and a season where we go through that travail, we don't give up, we endure, we keep our prayers going, we keep our taking our strong stands against the devices of the enemy. Once that process is completed, God, who has the bigger picture, brings it into focus for us. You know, like Paul wrote, we see through a glass darkly. You know, looking into those heavenly places, you know, we don't see the fullness of all glory till we actually leave this earth. Well, it's the same thing even going through this life. We don't see the everything the Lord's doing until the process, we've gone through the process. But God does have that bigger picture. We wait patiently and we endure. And we, we rest in the Lord. Back to verse 9 here. For evildoers shall be cut off. They will be cut down. But those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Now, inherit means to, in this sense here, it means to occupy by driving out previous tenants and possessing in their place. To cast out, to dispossess, to expel, succeed, or even destroy. In other words, those entities, those wicked entities that think they own what God has created, think they control what God has created, those that wait upon the Lord will dispossess them, will drive them out and take their place. Hebrews 2.14, For as much then as the children, or us, are partakers of flesh and blood, you know, we do have this, these bodies that we go through this life in, he, Jesus, also himself, likewise took part of the same. Isn't it something that the, the only begotten Son of God would come here, go through this life in this flesh, experience what we experience? And what did he do it for? That through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is, the devil. Use the devil's own weapon against him by what? Allowing himself to be crucified and slain at the hands of the wicked. And what did he accomplish it? And delivered them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. In other words, set us free from the death penalty upon our soul for sin. He paid the price for that so we could be free from sin. That's what the, the Lord did. The crucifixion worked to dispossess the devil of his power. Jesus took, tasted death for every man to take away the power of death from the devil. And no, even though it appeared in the natural to be a total defeat at the time, the end result was the salvation of our souls and the way to eternal life for those that would believe and take on his spirit. And our waiting on God through our prayer and our fasting, it accomplishes the same thing. 
we dispossess what, and disinherit the enemy from whatever power and influence they think they have. We take over, drive them out, and take their place. Drive out the evil in the land and establish righteousness in it. And you know, we do this through our prayer and fasting, even though in the natural, our prayer and fasting appears to be useless and doesn't appear to accomplish anything. God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And you think, you look at it in the natural, it's like, Lord, there's these things, you know, even, even on a massive scale that we want to see happen, that we're praying and fasting for. In the natural, that doesn't seem to make any sense. You think, well, you'd be out campaigning in the streets. You'd be like organizing people to, you know, rise up and gather together and pour all these money into these campaigns and all this stuff. No. He says, you're going to speak in tongues. You're going to sit quiet at home and speak in tongues. Maybe skip a few meals and that's going to do the work. It doesn't make much sense in the natural. Well, it's the foolish things that confound the wise. 1 Corinthians 1, I'll start in verse 25. It says, the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I don't, think there was a, I don't think there was a greater weakness on the face of the earth than Christ going to the cross and allowing himself to be slain. And yet, it accomplished what no man on the face of the earth could accomplish by his own power. Mm -hmm. The redemption of the human soul. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised, God hath chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. And this is why, verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence so that God gets the glory and no one can stand and say, I've lifted myself up with my own hand. That's why God loves working miracles for his people, because he gets the glory, which he is rightfully due, being the creator and our father that loves us and takes care of us, from whom all good things come. He gets the glory and his creation doesn't get to rise up and say that they've lifted themselves up with their own bootstraps. It doesn't happen. So it's a beautiful thing that the Lord does. Verse 10, For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. See, when the enemy is dispossessed, cast out, driven out, there's no more place for him. There can only be one ruler. So who's it going to be? The one that gets driven out, and dispossessed is no longer the ruler. It's the one that comes into their place. You know, even in the natural, we've seen that over and over again throughout history. It doesn't matter how big or powerful an empire is. Eventually, someone else comes along, and that empire crumbles, and someone else takes over. The crown doesn't endure to any every generation, as far as the natural goes. Somebody else eventually comes in and takes over. Well, the Lord is eternal. So when the Spirit of the Lord comes in and dispossesses, that other entities that have been driven out, they don't get to come back in. As long as there are righteous souls that are standing in that place and keeping that place, the enemy can't enter back in. 
That's why we have to endure. Because if we give up, we say, oh, well, it's not worth it. Nothing's going to happen. We're basically dispossessing ourselves. We're stepping out of those places that we ought to be. And the enemy can say, okay, well, there's a vacancy, so I'm going to step back in there. But we stand strong. We stand in the spirit of the Lord in those places. Guess what? It's not, the enemy is not going to come back. It's not going to be able to climb back up. There's only one ruler, and that's God himself. So, but the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves or be pliable and flexible in the abundance of peace. Now, it's kind of funny. Again, it's the opposite of what you would think in the natural. You think in the natural would be you know, the bold and the strong and the mighty that would take over. He says the meek shall inherit the earth. In other words, we drive out the enemy's influence by yielding to the Lord's will, by yielding to the leading of the Spirit. That's, that's the meekness he's talking about. And being meek, being pliable in the Spirit, that doesn't mean we lay down for everything. It's the, we're yielding to the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord is strength. He's that rod of iron that rules the nations. We yield to that, and then he rules over all. We don't lay down for everything, but we're at, we're at peace with the prince of peace. It says we'll, we delight ourselves, we're pliable, we're flexible in the abundance of peace. Well, peace, that Hebrew word, shalom, means to be safe, to be well, to be happy, friendly, to have health and prosperity. So the Lord is the Prince of Peace. He's the ruler of all that is good to our soul. That's what we're delighting ourselves in, yielding, yielding to those things that are good to our soul. And what gets driven out and removed is what is not of peace. Like verse 12 here, the wicked plotteth against the just and gnashes upon him with his teeth. Now that's a pretty nasty picture, if you think about it. But the Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. Now the Lord laughs because he dwells in eternity. The, Lord, the Lord's dwelling place in eternity, that's outside of time as we understand it. Now as we're in this fleshly realm, we're also carried along on that stream of time, progressing one moment to the next. It goes in one direction and there's a fixed pace. We can't jump ahead. We can't jump back. We just have, we have to carry along down that stream, if you will. The Lord's outside of that. He's already at the, the finish line. He sees the finished work. And so he laughs at whatever the wicked are trying to do because you know, he already knows what's, what the end of the matter is. Regardless of what plans the enemy's trying to carry out, Regardless of how viciously they're trying to attack the righteous, you know, with those words, that's what I'm talking about. Mostly it's, mostly it's with those words, those wicked, evil words. Regardless of all that, wicked have already lost. When he said back in verse 10, he said, yet a little while and the wicked shall not be. Well, everything's a little while to the Lord because he's outside of time. You know, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day with the Lord. He's completely outside of that. So regardless of how long something may look to us in time, Lord's outside of that. It's, a little, it's just a little while for him. And he already sees the end, that the wicked have already lost. The wicked have drawn out the sword 
and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy and to slay such as be of upright conversation. Notice the, those wicked, they're targeting the ones that they should be helping. Really, the poor and the needy, that's, that's who they're going after. Yeah, the devil is a bully. Yeah, he did, he's not going to go up against a, the strong and the mighty because he's a, he's a weakling himself. No, he's gonna, he wants to go after the ones that are the weak and the, the needy, the poor, the ones that he thinks he can control and keep under his thumb and cast them down and keep them under his control. That's what, that's what Satan tries to do. And those, up, those of upright conversation, the righteous that are standing for righteousness, he wants to take them out completely. Why? Because those are the ones that resist him and won't go under his thumb, won't go under his control. So he wants to take them out completely. But where do the wicked end up? Well, their sword shall enter into their own heart and their bows shall be broken. Now, if the Lord allows the enemy to continue for a season, it is for this purpose right here in verse 15, that it is their own wickedness which comes back upon their own head for which they themselves are fully accountable. That's justice right there. One's own wickedness returning back on their own head. And there's nobody else to blame but themselves. The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. That's Psalm 916. That's one I trust in quite a lot regardless of what we see on the face of the earth. I know the word of the Lord is true. If he's allowing things to go on for a time, it's to that end, that the Lord's justice will be wrought and the wicked will fall by their own devices. The Lord does have a great appreciation for irony. Verse 16, a little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked in other words, their force, their might, their power shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. Yeah, because the wicked trust in the flesh, which decays and dies, any might or power that they think they have will also decay and die. That flesh is temporary and it's weak, and it withers and dies. In other words, it's cursed. Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. Those wicked, those wicked ones that trust in the, in the fleshly things and in their own power, they actually bring a curse on themselves for doing that. They're actually cursing themselves doing it. For he shall be like the heath in the desert, and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land and not inhabited. It's completely devoid of the spirit of the Lord. And guess what? That heath in the desert, that's just a bunch of dry sticks. In other words, all they're good for is kindling for a fire. That's it. Nothing else, nothing else to do with them. That's Jeremiah 17 verses 5 and 6 that I just quoted there. So that's how God views those, those wicked ones with all their might and power that they think they have. Yeah, they're just kindling for the fire. The Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. We trust in the Lord. We commit our way to the Lord. We wait on Him. Our reward of Him will last forever, as long as we stick with Him. They shall not be ashamed or disappointed in the evil time. We won't be disappointed. 
even in the, the evil hour where it looks like the, the enemy's got everything he wants, God will take care of us and he's not going to disappoint us. And in the days of famine, they shall be satisfied. When we trust and obey the Lord, who is eternal, the might and power we do have, not just think we have, but we do have in the spirit is also eternal. We're blessed. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters and that spreadeth out her roots by the river and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green and shall not be careful or fearful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. That's Jeremiah 17 verses 7 and 8. So we're more than just kindling. We have those green leaves that provide shade from that from that sun. We have that fruit that's pleasing to God. And we have that seed within us that can propagate another generation as well. So we have great blessings when we, we stick with the Lord, not just in the natural, but also in the spiritual too. Regardless of what the natural circumstances may be, when we're faithful to the Lord, he will make sure that we're taken care of. And he'll do that, first of all, spiritually, but he also provides for us physically, financially, and emotionally too. So one of those fruits in the spirit is that joy. We have that great joy in the Lord, regardless of whatever the natural circumstances are. We have peace in the Lord, regardless of what's going on across the face of the earth. Now, we're not subject to fear or chaos or discord like the world gets caught up in. We're not subject to that. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall consume, and into smoke shall they consume away. So like those Old Testament sin offerings, they're put on that altar and they're just burned to ash. That's where the wicked and enemies of the Lord end up. When they're that kindling, and they get lit up, there's nothing left of them by the time that fire goes through and consumes them. In the end, all that opposition against the Lord will come to nothing. And though we as the saints tarry for a season on the earth, it's so that we can learn to endure and overcome that opposition by the Spirit. And when we do that, we rest in the Lord and take our stand in the Spirit, God gets the glory. And we give glory to God for the victory. So we can trust in the Lord and we will continue to take our rest and take our stand in the Lord. And regardless of what the world does, their devices come to nothing. That's all I have for this chapter for today. We'll continue next week with part two. Keep your prayers going and don't let up because it is the hour to move the Lord's hand and just watch what he is accomplishing and what he will accomplish in the days ahead. And that is our wonderful friend, Corey. As you heard, an incredible message. I hope that blessed you as much as it blessed me. What an, an honor and what a privilege to know the truth of God and to know how to, how to set ourselves according to the Word of God perfectly in these unique circumstances that we're watching here uh, in the United States and internationally. And then, of course, in all circumstance, we can rely on the Word of God. As you heard our friend Corey say, it is true no matter what we see going on around us. 
The Word of God is true. Hope you enjoyed again today's show. It was a privilege, and I also love how a young man like our friend Corey is ministering with the same unity in the Spirit as our beloved brother Bob, who's been on with the Lord for now decades. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Go to getyourloveon.org for past show archives if you'd like to be baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, or know more about that. Again, those resources are available at getyourloveon.org. It's been a privilege being with you today. Since we spent the last two hours getting our love on, let's make sure we keep our love on. We'll be back next week. And in the meantime, Lord bless your week. Let's stand strong in our faith and have a wonderful week. We'll be back with you next week. Don't let it die, don't let it die